It's the True Penny Show with your host, James True Penny. get this show out to you before the end of the day is my plan um, and I hope you enjoy this show it's gonna be a little bit different than normal I haven't done a Q&A in a while I've had a couple of people who've given me questions to answer so I will do those shortly but the main thrust of today's show is the end of year awards it's a troopany show tradition unfortunately all of the crew is busy this weekend it's family time as you can imagine and as we all move on and get older and have families to deal with and uh, wives and husbands and partners and stuff it's less and less easy to get everyone together, which we will see what we can do about the new year and maybe bringing some new contributors who have the time to give us all a show where there's more than just me speaking every week because it's not my favourite thing to do, it's just the way it is. And today we will give you some Q&As and we'll go on with the Asian Awards in the True Penny Show Awards. I have got the European Awards as well, I might do them too because none of the current True Penny Show crew are very big on European wrestling, which has been a bit of a kind of theme. The death of Brit Rest this summer was uh, not real, let's be honest. There's plenty of wrestling going on in the UK. However, it has meant that European wrestling maybe hasn't as good a year as it has in the past. So, let's start with Asia, though, and my awards for the Asian 2019. We start with match of the year. My match of the year actually didn't happen in Asia. It happened in Britain, but it was an Asian company that did it. It was New Japan Pro Wrestling, and my favourite match of this year was Kazuchika Okada, versus Minoru Suzuki for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship at Royal Quest. While it wasn't as an athletic a feat as some of the wrestling matches we've seen this year, specifically with Osprey, who's been outstanding, and various other people, it was the match that hooked me the most. The old charge of Minoru Suzuki. A lot of things have been said about him over the summer. Was he done with New Japan Pro Wrestling? Was he out of there? Was he unhappy with his role in the company? And when you back Minoru Suzuki into a corner, he does incredible, incredible things. And Kazuchika Okada is more than willing to be his playmate in such a situation. And they brought things together in such an astounding fashion that I have to give the match of the year to Minoru Suzuki and Kazuchika Okada. It was breathtaking. A match I can watch again and again and again. There were some memorable mentions for other matches that I really loved. And most recently, Finjuice versus uh, Evil and Sonata was another match that emotionally got me. Because watching David Finley grow within the space of 20 minutes to be a true New Japan main eventer was a glorious and wonderful thing. However, match of the year for me, Minoru Suzuki versus Kazuchika Okada. Congratulations to both of you on an outstanding year. Even though Minoru doesn't seem to get the credit he deserves at the moment, I'm sure that will change if he has anything to do with it. <coughs> My wrestler of the year, unsurprisingly, for most of you who are big Troopany Show listeners and following me on Twitter, is Miko Satomura. She has had an outstanding year in professional wrestling, as she always does, because she's the best wrestler in the world, again, for me. Uh, her work in Sendai Girls has been breathtaking. You know, she started the year on a roll from her run in the uh, Mae Young Classic. She reached out to a much bigger audience. So big, she was able to bring the Sendai Girls to Manchester, on which I was honoured to see her wrestle on one of my favourite wrestling shows I've ever, ever been to. And it was a great day for me, but also Mako Satomura's year has been 
just on another level, as always. She's not only become the major force in Joshi Pro Wrestling in Japan, she's become a matriarch of the British wrestling scene, not just for women, but for men as well. You know, Chris Brooks has been very vocal about his love for Mako Satomura's wrestling and the fact that they've wrestled each other so many times and had such so many great matches. Mako has been outstanding and Progress Women's Champion for a large part of this year. She has uh, really, truly been a wonder for the Japanese wrestling industry and shows one woman's determination to make Joshi Puroresu uh, an established fact for the whole world, not just for Japan. My tag team of the year is Medusa Complex. That would be Millie McKenzie and Charlie Evans. I saw them wrestle on that Manchester show and they blew me away. They are a throwback to the Joshi teams of the 1980s and the 1990s, like the LCO and uh, Toshiaki Yamada, <laughs> Yamada and Toyota. And <clears throat> I just love their straight ahead, uncomplicated, um, just beating people up for a living style of wrestling. You know, there's always something that, that um, Paul Ellering said about the Road Warriors. Winning titles is a matter of achievement, but ruling the wrestling world is a matter of pride. And for me, Medusa Complex sum that up uh, in such a great fashion. They're two young wrestlers who are going to have a great future individually, but as a tag team, they're something else. And I can't wait to see what they do in 2020. My feud of the year, that has to go to Jushin Liger versus Minoru Suzuki. Two old guys at the end of their time who are trying to really stamp their authority on this young roster in New Japan Pro Wrestling and show them how it's done. And their match at Dominion, uh, sorry, not match at Dominion. No, it wasn't their match at Dominion. It was their match at King of Pro Wrestling. Really summed up everything. It had character development. We brought back Kishin Liger. We had Battle Liger. We had the full gamut of, of Justin Liger's character work and his in-ring ability. It wasn't, again, a great athletic match. It was just a well-told story with basic and simple maneuvers. And it showed you what you can do in the tradition of strong style and in New Japan Pro Wrestling. So that was my feud of the year, just because it was so well well put together. The main event feuds have been very much more sports orientated this year, and I think that's kind of a matchup to what Okada does. Okada is a sports-based kind of teller, storyteller. We're starting to see now some character development in his feud with um, Kota Ibushi as they go into Wrestle Kingdom, but for most of the year he's kind of been facing each challenger as they come, like a true sports-based champion should. Whereas uh, Liger versus Suzuki was a great story, told exceptionally well. My promotion of the year, unsurprisingly, is New Japan Pro Wrestling. They've showed an awful lot of growth in 2019. They've developed themselves into being an international powerhouse. They're getting away from their partnership with Ring of Honor, which is shown by the fact they toured the Northeast without any Ring of Honor help, really. They did it by themselves. And uh, that's been something special to see. You know, it's it's... A great for me as a fan of New Japan Pro Wrestling to see how well they have developed and how well they can move forward as a company. Um, and, you know, Noah have done well this year. They've bounced back. And Sendai Girls, like I said, have had an incredible growth year. Um, the Asian wrestling business is doing very well. You know, OWA in China is even doing fantastic stuff and showing deep, great depth and growth. But for me, it would have to be New Japan Pro Wrestling in a, a really good year for Japanese wrestling. They've still shown out as the beacons of the uh, continent for me. Next, my comeback of the year kind of goes to Kenta, which at the beginning, in the middle of the year, wouldn't really have rung true. He had a pretty good G1. He wasn't particularly beloved by the fans when he came back. And, you know, Noah and New Japan don't have the same fan base necessarily. And there's a lot of um, 
corporate exceptionalism between the companies. And Kenta was kind of like a forgotten man, five years away from the Japanese wrestling industry. But by heck, when he got his head square, joined Bullet Club, and gave himself a new lease on life, he has been exceptional. And they've given him the right dance partners to work with. Hiroki Goto and Tomohiro Ishii will get the best out of you as best they can. And uh, it's really shown in his ring work. It's developed so, so much. Um, and that leads me into moment of the year, which would have to be Katsuyuri Shibata's comeback and beat down on Kenta. Um, he's never going to wrestle again, we don't think. But occasionally shots like this will really pop the crowd and really help develop the narrative of the story. And this was something that was really special for me and I think for a lot of fans. I was never a massive fan of Shibata when he came back to New Japan, but he kind of won my heart with his effort and his determination. And uh, again, he's come back to, you know, doing the occasional appearance. He's not a full-on New Japan guy. He doesn't have the time to do that. He hasn't got the health to do that. But for certain moments like this, he is an astounding vision to see. And you can hear it in the crowd. You can hear them. They love this guy. And that was something special. Other special moments uh, was uh, Ricky Chose's retirement tour. That was watching. That was exceptional. And Justin Liger doing his uh, farewell, as well as Tiger Hattori's retirement in New York. That was something special too. But there's lots of things that have gone on. And of course, the big one maybe was New Japan Pro Wrestling going to the Madison Square Garden and taking on New Japan, and taking on WWE's back to backyard turf, um, working with Ring of Honor and CMLL to an extent. But Certainly, I think that was an important moment in Japanese wrestling history, but the one that touched me most was Shibata coming back to King of Pro Wrestling. My manager and valet of the year is Mio Abe, because she has to put up with Tai Chi. Not an awful lot more to be said there, really. She's made her presence felt. She's clearly the smarts behind Suzuki-gun, if you think about it. Uh, but yeah, she's been astounding. Uh, and actually, probably the most important person to watch in the Tai Chi dynamic, and as kind of like taking the edge off his less, what can we say, uh, less nice attributes and made him a much more watchable act, I think, anyway. Finally, we have the Akira Hokuto Tough Old So-and-So Award, and that goes to Tomohiro Ishii, who, again, has an astounding year. The man does not have bad matches and never has bad matches, and that always makes me smile, and he's just a guy who I absolutely love watching wrestling clearly loves the sport, takes it very seriously, and loves his job. Um, and a lot of his time, his job is getting beaten up, and uh, he does it really, really well. But he beats up people so much better. So my Akira Hokuto Tough Old So-and-So Award goes to Tomohiro Ishii. And that concludes my Asian Awards for 2019. We should probably have a look at the European Awards, because I've only used 10 minutes of my time. So let's have a look at the European Awards. Uh, match of the Year, Josh Chicharco versus Kaylee Ray and Sendai Girls. I know I've kind of like tweaked the rules here a little bit, but it was a match I was at, and it was in Manchester, and Kayleigh Ray is a European wrestler. She's now WWE UK uh, Women's Champion. So, yeah, I'm going to say that was my match of the year, which is kind of cheating slightly, because I said the Sendai Girl stuff was also for Asia. But I've also got Mako Satomura as my European wrestler of the year as well, because she's been outstanding this year for progress, uh, and, you know, for uh, Fight Club Pro, and helped Fight Club Pro break into the Japanese market. Um, she's been such a great ambassador that I have to give her Wrestler of the Year. I'd give her Wrestler of the Year in North America, but she's only had one match there, really. <laughs> so that's really not fair. Uh, but yeah, I love Mako Satomura. Medusa Complex, again, they win the Tag Team of the Year purely because of their dominance all over the place. They won uh, Riptide's Tag Team Championship Tournament, beating the Rascals in 2019. 
um, as well as touring the UK with Pro Wrestling Eve, and that's really where they started. So I think for my tag team of the year, it has to be Medusa Complex. Um, <clears throat> I will also say some honourable mentions for Aussie Open, who were great this year, and also the sad demise of CCK in the uh, form of Chris Brooks and, of course, Kid Lycos. But they were looking so good until it all fell apart. What can you do? My promotion of the year is Fight Club Pro. They have grown and grown and grown. They arguably are one of the biggest companies in the UK right now. They've done it without the usual attributes of WWE help or uh, a working relationship with one of the big Japanese companies. They've worked with Big Japan and they've worked with DDT and they've worked with Sendai Girls. So they're kind of making a different path themselves. And I always enjoy that, watching a company grow, doing things differently. That's important to me because I'm the kind of guy who looks for the things that are different. So for me, I would like to say Fight Club Pro is my European promotion of the year. Uh, comeback of the year, Kid Like Us. He could have walked away, but he loves the wrestling industry. And shut up, Chris was a watchword for everyone this year. So watching Chris the Kid Like Us turn himself into a avid and rabid wrestling manager for Sachin Freud was awesome. And I love to see that. You've got to see Kid Like Us in person to really get his vibe. He is astounding. Always selling, always telling a story with his face as a masked wrestler should, and now as a masked manager. The Les Kelly Outstanding Achiever Award goes to Session Moth Martina yet again, purely because Session Moth has been all over the place this year. She's wrestled for, o for OTT, she's wrestled for Progress, she's wrestled for Rev Pro, she's done everything you expect her to do and more, and also she's signed with Ring of Honor, and that's an incredible great growth progress for her. I think she's a good signing for the Women of Honor's division, which has been hammered this year by some stupid booking decisions, let's be honest. And hopefully she will write the ship whenever they start to. I hope it's soon. And my moment of the year goes back to Kid Lycos and shut up, Chris. <laughs> um, I love Kid Lycos and I hope, him, I hope he has a really good post-wrestling career as a manager and as a mouthpiece because he really is a talented talker. So today's show is going to be quite short because of uh, the way things are, but let us ask, go on to our questions. And I do have some questions here. Um, hang on whilst I find them a second. Uh, where are we? Going through my list of Twitter. By the way, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I am at Sheriff Lone Star. I do occasionally stick questions out like this. Do you want to ask Emmy uh, any questions? You're more than welcome. I'll try and answer them on the shows as we go. Usually we try and wait safe till we have a big Q&A session. Uh, where are we? It's down here somewhere. Okay. There we go. From Alistair Patton. Um, he says, other than wrestling, who, what are the content creators you watch, read, and listen to the most? Well, let's see. Watch. I watch a lot of Netflix. Uh, me and my partner have a Netflix subscription, and we use it regularly. I'm a big fan of Riverdale, uh, though I'm finding this season a bit of a slog to get through. We love The Good Place. I'm a really big fan of Brooklyn Nine-Nine since that appeared on Netflix. I'm slowly going my way through those. Uh, it's been a good year for Scorsese. I've liked The Irishman, though it took me a long time to watch it. It took me about four sittings to watch that. There's been some good films. My favourite film this year, though, was Ford vs. Ferrari, or Le Mans 66, as it's known in the UK. Absolutely love that film. I love that story, and there's so many stories from motorsports in that era which I think could be told in a film format. They're very cinematic. Um, there's like the classic storyline time frames of them. You could pick points like they did in, in 66. There's so many things you could say. You can write a sequel to that movie based on Le Mans 67 and Le Mans 68 and Le Mans 69 as well uh, because Ford had such a purple, purple patch in that era. 
and the Deuce Henry Ford II was such a big character which you can come back to, and so is Carol Shelby. He was uh, such a big character in racing, so I love that. What else have I watched this year? Um, I really love The Good Liar. That was an incredible film. I really enjoyed that. What do I read? I don't read as much as I should. I read The Guardian a lot. Um, that's my newspaper of choice. I read The Independent from time to time as well. Um, I read Clive James, my absolute hero who passed away this year. And if you go onto the Vulture Hound website, I wrote his obituary, which was one of the saddest things I ever had to do because it was kind of like writing an obituary for my literary father. If there was one hero in literature that I would pick, it would be Clive James. I know he wasn't necessarily a great novelist. He wrote novels that spoke to me. He's the same age as my dad, and he grew up in similar circumstances. And the difference is that my dad ended up being a lorry driver because he didn't have the opportunities that Clive James did. And Clive James was the first to admit that he was just lucky, and he had brains, and he took advantage of those things. But it, it, it kind of gave me a light of what was going on in my mum and dad's life because they were the same age as him. So I got an idea of the culture from his biographies and then from his novels where he expanded on those thoughts. And that really kind of impressed upon me what good writing should be and how you should approach literature because Clive James wrote about literature on a level so that Shakespeare was just as important as Dynasty to him. Uh, you know, the TV shows were really important cultural touchstones as far as he was concerned. And so I write about wrestling in the same way wrestling is wrestling and great wrestling is great wrestling whoever it's from you know i get this reputation and quite rightly because i don't watch wwe but it's just not my thing it's not something i watch that doesn't mean there isn't great matches that happen there i have friends who work for wwe and i think that they do wrestling their way well it's not my cup of tea but that's the thing but equally i write about it when i do write about it i write about it in the same way i write about new japan and it's about understanding that literary level and how it all fits together what do I listen to the most? Um, I listen to punk rock, and I listen to blues, and I listen to jazz. I'm kind of on a jazz kick at the minute. I'm on a bit of a Miles Davis kick. I kind of like a lot of Kenny Burrell as well, but my big guitar heroes are people like Jimmy Vaughan and Stevie Ray Vaughan, really old school kind of blues guys. I love B.B. King and Eric Clapton. Not as much on the Clapton front, but he is very, very good. A little bit of Hendrix here and there when occasionally that's the blues side of me, but the punk rock side of me is kind of where I've, I've made my bread and butter as a guitar player and as a guitar teacher and as a performer. So it's bands like Bad Religion and No Effects and 90s Cali punk rock is my kind of bag. Um, I would suggest you go find One Car Pileup, who are a British band, and they had a brilliant album called, uh, uh, what's it called, Worst Episode Ever, which you can find on YouTube and all sorts of places now. Um, go listen to them, because that's my cup of tea. They're from Scunthorpe. Their guitarist, Chris, actually lives in the house next door to me now. <laughs> We've ended up moving in together. Well, not together, but nearby each other without really knowing that we were both moving there. So that's what I listen to really the most. So I hope that answers your question, Alistair. Uh, Michael O'Reilly, I think he's O'Reilly. Um, he's a guy who is a big Troopany Show fan. Um, he, uh, yeah, Alistair Patton, I should, and you should follow Alistair because Alistair's pretty funny and I like his stuff. Where is he? Alistair is at... On your Twitter there, he would be, hmm, always never finding the things when I want them. Where are they? Oh, I should have copied and pasted these before I started. Patton Drugs uh, on Twitter, you should follow him. Uh, where are we? I'm on Michael's Twitter as well. Um, 
Oh, as I'm going through, you should also follow Phoenix DK. She's really cool. I like her a lot. You should also follow, uh, as far as people I read, um, where is she? You should also follow Lost Wolfing. She's really funny too. I like her a lot. She goes in depth on Star Wars and all sorts of uh, nerd stuff, which I really enjoy reading. You should follow her. Um, where are we? Uh, you should follow Chelsea as well, our partners and pros, as I'm going through this. Sumi Sakai, of Ring of Honor, lovely person. You should talk to her a lot. She's really, really cool. I like her a lot. Um, she's one of the best wrestlers in the world. Tough as old boots. Aerostar is another follower of mine, believe it or not. He's lovely. Tends to like his liberal tweets a lot. You should follow him. <laughs> uh, where are we? Keep going down. I'm trying to find out some more of these as I keep going through my Twitter feed from the last couple of days. Michael O'Reilly. Here is the thing I was, he was going to ask me. He asked me a bunch of questions, as he always does. Um, where are we? Michael, where are you? Um, oh, yeah. Um, Penny Gotch. Follow her. She's cool, too. Where are we? And, of course, uh, you should also follow Empress Ashley LP from Indie Empire magazine. Go look her up too. Michael O'Reilly, here we go. He's answered me, asked me so many questions. Uh, uh, where are we? You're right. New Japan XUS expansion is spreading themselves too thin. How much of a card's greatest is actually his own doing? How much credit does he go to just get it should get or receive for his booking of a card? All right, let's start with this. So, New Japan expansion, are they spreading themselves too thin? No, I don't. I think that they may need to run A shows and B shows as they did a little bit last year um, because it's a kind of standard trait. WWE do that all the time. I do think they can, they've got a big enough roster to do it. I think they can do it and still draw money. If you look at the places they're playing, they're doing 5,000 seaters, which I think is reasonable. On the big shows, they're doing 10,000 still. They haven't got the same shock and awe as they had a couple of years ago when they first started going to the US. So they've got to build steady progress and that's been the New Japan way for the last 15 years or so. So yes, I think they're doing okay. I don't think they're spreading too thin. How much of a card is greatness is actually his own doing and how much credit does or should get or receive for his booking of a card? Something stuck with me from earlier this year and Chelsea said this. She saw Ibushi tagging with Okada and Ibushi kept watching Okada and she could see the joy in his eyes and the smile on his face of just watching Okada work a wrestling match. I think Okada is a throwback to the great wrestlers of the 1980s and 70s, Harley Race and, and Ric Flair. He doesn't do anything particularly flashy, he just does everything so well. And he's grounded and he's sensible. I think he's one of the greatest wrestlers of his generation just because of his charisma and his character and the fact that he can get himself so over without really trying so hard. He doesn't take massive risks unless he has to. I think he is the best wrestler of his generation or best male wrestler of his generation and I think he's going to be like absolute Hall of Fame Ric Flair level in that sense. Though of course you need the right person to get yourself over if you look back at the greatest wrestlers of all time TM. Ric Flair had some great bookers. He worked with Dusty Rhodes. He had um, <coughs> George Scott. He had uh, the Charlotte Bookings office of uh, Crockett Promotions. Some of the best workers. And Gary Hart, of course, who worked in Florida and in, in Crockett for a long while too. So yes, he had a lot of help with the booking. And Hulk Hogan obviously had Vince McMahon. So you have to kind of like make this a determination and Ghetto has been the most consistently good booker of the last 15 years or so. He knows what he's doing about why it's in reaching a wider audience. So yes, I think Ghetto deserves a lot of credit. 
but he can't work with nothing. He has to have talent there to make that work and make it seem believable. Match of the Decade is another one from Michael. By the way, if you want to follow Michael, he's NC Reaper Killer on Twitter. He doesn't have an ID pick, so you can see who he is. So you can't see who he is, but that's what Michael does. Anyway, that's Michael's choice. Match of the Decade. My Match of the Decade, oh, it's a tough one. And I have to go back to perhaps the one that touched me the most, which is probably going to be a bit different to most people's choices. Nanai Takahashi versus Alpha Female from Stardom, and I think in 2013 when Alpha took the title, was not an athletic, was an athletic masterpiece. And it was a masterpiece in getting a monster wrestler over. And Jazzy Gabbett deserves a lot of credit for that, and Nana Takahashi deserves a lot of credit for that. Obviously, most of you know I'm good friends with Jazzy, and we've talked a lot about that match in writing her biography, which we haven't got around to dealing with yet. But um, I've talked a lot about her in that match and the psychology behind that match and how it was supposed to work and how she felt about Nanai and how she felt about that matchup and how important it was to stardom and how important it was to the company to take the belt from Nanai at a crucial time. It had to be the right person to go and kind of like set the stage for the next long-term champion. And it was really important for Jazzy Gabbard. That was a... a how can I put it? It was such a knife-edge situation. She comes over and she uh, has this first match and it goes to a time limit draw, so she gets the title shot. And then she turns up for a six-month run in stardom and they're going to put the belt on her. you know. And there's, there's this whole bunch of stuff I can't really talk about because it's like it's what Jazzy said to me and it's kind of personal. And, and But equally, knowing all that stuff after the fact about the match sheds it in a completely different light. And what we know about Nanai as a performer is really laid bare in that match. She's trying so hard to do her best for Jazzy and for herself and for the company. And because you know so much, because I know so much about that situation, it really is um, something special in the after effect, after the event fact of that. As far as matches I've seen personally, um, Manami Toyota's debut in Pro Wrestling Eve was special to me, but that was again special to me. Maker Satsumura's debut in Pro Wrestling Eve was special to me because I had the second biggest story in FSM that month, and it was a matter of professional achievement for me um, to be that well-respected, to be asked to write that story um, specifically for FSM. I was first originally asked to write a story for, about Manami Toyota for FSM, and I was written asked to write a story about Mako Satamora and to be asked to be the best person qualified to write that story meant an awful lot to me. And because of the nature of SFFSM being at the time, being the biggest wrestling magazine in the UK and in Europe and arguably in the world, and it's read by so many people in the industry, and my words were important to a lot of people and I had a lot of great feedback about that article and to see what Mako has done since then um, has been astounding to me and if I played any even a tiny little part in any of that I'm incredibly proud for being part of that story um, and you know it was uh, it was such a great day for me to go and see Mako Satamora in person and now she comes over very, very, very regularly she's just here all the time she was in Sheffield the other week and I couldn't go because of illness and one thing and another so yeah those really important to me I think I think the thing is 
I've watched some great wrestling matches, but the ones that stick with me are the personal story ones, the ones that I have something to do with or something that uh, touched me in a certain way uh, as far as my love of pro wrestling is concerned. Um, I got to see a lot of wrestling, the wrestlers who are big and international superstars now long before they were became international superstars. Um, yeah, uh, that that's that's really um, something that is important to me. I think I don't think I necessarily judge some matches on like the five star system and being objectively right about this great professional wrestling match. I think it's more to do with the fact that I really enjoyed it because it was something that was cool for me. Um, having said that, as far as great wrestling matches is concerned, Io Shirai versus Kaylee Ray was outstanding. Um, I saw that in Tooting Tram and Social when Stardom did their first UK tour, um, and yeah, that was that was that really. I think that pretty much covers it. I would have to say Nanai and Jazzy just because of a personal story that I know so well, and seeing Jazzy Jazzy grow into being this big superstar in WWE UK, NXT UK has been incredibly satisfying to to see a friend develop so quickly. I've been on that journey with her for a long time, and I hope she has such great success in the next couple of years because she deserves it she works so incredibly hard and knowing jazzy as i have done for such a long time gives me an insight into how all of these people work so hard one of the best jobs i had in wrestling was the female focus column in total wrestling when i took over that and interviewed all these women who were doing incredible things like uh b Priestley, who's become a big star now um sumi sakai was another one uh that was awesome uh, Sumi, was, Sumi told me a bunch of backstage stuff I'm not, I, can, I don't speak about even now in case some Yakuza come and trap me down um, and uh, she, uh, em, Emily Reed from Pro Wrestling Eve getting her into that particular interview was awesome as well and Jetta so I have I am blessed to be um, how can I put it blessed to be involved with these people even on a tiny level and they may never speak to me again, but the fact that I got to speak to them for half an hour and write a story about them blessed my life, shall we say. Right then, Michael's next question. Going back in time in any promotion, which show or match do you wish you could have seen live in the actual venue? Dream Slam, I would say, uh, Yokohama Arena. I would have liked to have seen that. Dream, Dream Slam 1 with Akira Okoto versus Shinobi Kandori and Dream Slam 2 with Minami Toyota and Toshi Yamada versus... Uh, Dynamite Kansai and Megumi, uh, not Megumi, um, yeah, Dynamite Kansai and, oh, his name I've forgotten. I'm going to have to look this up. This is, like, getting older is horrible, because I get things just fall out of my um, head, and I used to know all this stuff, and it just roll off my tongue. Oh, sir, oh, sir. Mayumi Uzaki, of course it is. Good God, what's wrong with me? Yeah, <coughs> Mayumi Uzaki in Dynamite Kansai versus Mayumi Toyoji and Toshi Yamada. Love to have seen that live. I always wanted to watch Billy Owls live because my dad talked so much about Billy Owls, so I'd like to see a wrestling match with Billy Owls involved. And there's very little video of him about, um, not much video of him about, so I'd like to see a Billy Howes match. I'd like to have gone back in time to see Marty Jones versus um, Rollerball Rocco in person. Never got to see them in person. Seen Marty Jones a lot. I think I've seen Rollerball Rocco a lot, but they were at different promotions when I was growing up, so I never saw them live together. I'd like to have seen that. Um, 
so that yeah that kind of covers it really kind of a little bit I, I like to see Marty Jones debut in New Japan Pro Wrestling tagging with um, Antonio Inoki and Hulk Hogan which would have been wonderful because he's my great wrestling hero um, but yeah I think those are the matches that I would have liked to have seen um, oh, what's the other one that Michael had one more as well where is he oh yes worst or funniest story attending a live show oh god um, me and Sai have some great times going to watch wrestling shows um, because we entertain ourselves, each other. If you've ever listened to us podcasting together, you can tell we have a bit of a chemistry as far as making jokes is concerned. They're funny to us. We don't know if you are. You like them, not. Um, uh, I don't really have any funny stories from wrestling shows, I must admit. I guess I've had some odd, bizarre things happen at wrestling shows. Um, the first time I went to see Stardom in the UK and a bunch of people were telling me about this guy who writes really great stories about Mako Satomura on the WrestleTalk website. I was like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> Felt like a rock star for all five minutes. Um, uh, I'm trying to think now. Uh, that was a slightly bizarre day and I, and I don't tell, I don't have told him. There's a, there's a famous wrestling journalist who works for MLW who was in the building and had arranged an interview with the superstars of Stardom Pro Wrestling, Mayumi Izaki, Yoshirai, uh, Kairi Hojo, and he, they weren't there, and he couldn't understand it, and he was having a right go at Rossi about, like, well, he w wasn't, he was talking to me about having a right go at Rossi because, you know, he's supposed to have arranged this, and they'd gone shopping, and they were actually talking to me, <laughs> they were outside the building talking to me and I was like oh it's just a real shame because I didn't want to get them in trouble because it wasn't their fault they just they didn't know and they just hadn't been told to go to these interviews and uh, I, I was stood outside talking to them all uh, with Jazzy who introduced me to them all and it was lovely it was nice as I got to meet Yoshi and I got to meet Kari Hojo and Mayumi uh, and uh, Mayo sorry Itani and uh, then watched them wrestle their asses off and it was great it was a wonderful day so I suppose that's the funniest thing I think Michael also finally asks, assign spirit animals to these wrestlers, Kota Ibushi, a seal, he moves swiftly like a seal, and is smooth like a seal. Okada, um, well he comes from Toriman, so he's got to be a dragon, hasn't he really? Well, you know, he's, he's the ultimate dragon's dragon. So, I'm allowed spirit animals as dragons, I'm guessing, I'm going over that. Jay White, Sleazeblade Jay White, um... The sleaziest of all animals. Who's who's sleazy? I think uh, a rat. I think <laughs> Jay White and a rat, especially with that beard at the moment. Tetsuya Nato, a sloth. Got to be a sloth. Laid back, reactive. Pentagon Junior. Hmm. Um, spirit animal for Pentagon Junior. Uh, is there any shape-based animals? Uh, I don't know. I, I really don't know. Pentagon Jr. is an interesting cat, though, because he is the storyline son of a storyline wrestler who was only invented to wrestle Octagon, who was a big AAA babyface in the 1990s. So it, he's a bit... I always like that. It's a bit of a strange kind of relationship. Pentagon Jr., a spirit animal for Pentagon Jr. Rattlesnake, because they have no fear. They fear nothing. Oh, no, Dolphin. There you go. Back to Clive James. Clive James's mother told him that nothing in the ocean scared dolphins and they had nothing to be feared by. So they, they feared nothing. So Pentagon Jr., zero fear, he's a dolphin. Kenny Omega, 
Oh God, Kenny. Uh, it's got to be a Wolverine, surely he's Canadian. Um, Microman. <laughs> I don't know. Microman has a big heart, so the animal with the biggest heart would be a blue whale. So Microman, blue whale. Walter, chops. Um, there aren't really any animals that chop very hard, are there? Um, big bear of a dude. I go with bear for Walter. Uh, he's large <laughs> and hits people quite hard. So it says Satamora and Big Mammy. So Big Mammy, you've got to be caring with Big Mammy. She's, she looks after her hamburger boy. So Big Mammy, I'm going to say, um, what's the most caring animal I can think of? A lion, because they look after their pride. So Big Mammy is a lion. Satamora is the most graceful and beautiful but deadly creature on the planet. So we need a spirit animal for her. So I'm going to say a wolf, because they are graceful and joyous to look at, but we'll kill you. And that concludes my question and answer session and my Asian and European awards for the True Bunny Show in 2019. We had a bit of a shorter show today, I apologise for that. Can't be helped, as they say, these things happen, but hopefully you've enjoyed it. Take care and we'll see you next week. There won't be a Telling Stories tomorrow, I just don't have time to do one. We'll bring Telling Stories back probably after Christmas. And I'll think about a big project to run again, because I think we're kind of running to the end of the Best of British Seas series. So we'll see what we can come up with for something different in the new year. Uh, thank you very much for listening. I'd like to wish Merry Christmas to all of the listeners of The Troopany Show. And, of course, the staff on The Troopany Show, Marcus, Chelsea, Courtney, Ashley, Alex, Alex, Cy, and everyone else who's appeared on the show. Oh, of course... Um, Christy as well, because she hasn't been on the show much this year. She's kind of out of wrestling fandom at the moment. Um, but you should go follow her on Twitter, because she's really cool. Um, and she's doing some cool stuff at the moment. So take care, and we'll see you in the new year. Um, have a fun time. And if you want to follow me, you can find me at Sheriff Lone Star on Twitter. You can find the show Troopany Show on Twitter. And you can find us on Facebook, The Troopany Show. Please go to our sponsors, Indie Empire Magazine where you can see the great new story on Noah in the latest edition, which will be out soon. And also go to powerslam.tv, where you can use our code MULLETWATCH to uh, have a front three professional wrestling. Take care, and we'll see you soon. Bye! Are you looking for the newest and hottest in the world of pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 6,000 hours of the best events from over 150 of your favorite promotions from 20 different countries around the globe. Brands like Progress Wrestling, Evolve Wrestling, Combat Zone, Defy, PCW Ultra, PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only $5.99 per month. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv.